What the hell is up, you guys? My name is Jamie Logan, and today I am here with Natasha and Ed from Bread Bakery, based in Vancouver. Thank you guys so much for coming on. Hey, Jamie. Thanks for having us. Hi, Jamie. Thank you for having us. Today is a very special day for you two because you just launched your new book. Tell us about it. What's going on? It's our, our debut cookbook. It's our first ever cookbook um, with Penguin Canada. And yeah, we're really excited. It came out today. Uh, it's 100 recipes. It's 100% vegan, plant-based baking. Um, the premise is it's called Bread, B-R-E-D. My name's Ed. Um, the bakery's called Bread. Um, and yeah, so it's, the backbone is sourdough, um, but there's a bunch of other stuff in there. Cookies, cakes, gluten-free chapter, zero waste, stuff to have with bread, on bread. Um, yeah, 100 recipes is a lot. <laughs> Incredible. So guys, you know, if you're listening and you have any questions about bread, you know who to reach to say <laughs> the very least. So why don't you guys just give us a little intro as to who you are and just um, what you what you do? Where is bread and, and what do you what do you do? Uh, well, the bakery bread is located in the ski resort of Whistler uh, in British Columbia. Uh, so it's about two hours north of Vancouver, but a lot of Vancouver people seem to think it's part of Vancouver. And we have a lot of customers all over the world and from uh, Seattle, Washington, Vancouver and lots of locals. And uh, our bakery is one minute away from the gondola. So you can literally snowboard or ski or mountain bike in the summer all the way down the mountain right to our doorstep, um, which is pretty cool. And uh, it's completely vegan. And I tend to run um, the front of house and, and do a lot of the behind the scenes um, kind of business stuff, HR and finance, all the fun stuff. And Ed, um, well, you run the kitchen. Yeah, so I've, I've worked in kitchens since I was 13. Um, so I come from a fine dining chef background, pretty much self-taught with baking. Um, but yeah, we came together five years ago to open the bakery and yeah, it's, it's pretty small, but we make everything in-house. It's open plan. So we love the fact, you know, kids can come in and adults and see exactly where the food's made. Um, we use as many local ingredients as we can, as much organic. Um, and a year ago, we just became B Corp certified as well. Incredible, incredible. I mean, bread is my favorite food. I will say that and preface that. And it just so happens that a lot of breads are vegans, but some are not. And you just said that your whole entire bakery is vegan. Why mm -hmm. is your bakery vegan? Because we're vegan. So <laughs> yeah. there's no way that we would ever profit from animal cruelty or slaughter. Um, so when we started making bread for the community, it was something that Ed really got into because he was working in a fine dining kitchen that served lots of meat and fish and the bread gave him a little vegan corner where he could just focus his energy and um, start selling bread to, to locals uh, on the side really as well as provide it in the restaurant and um, then when the when the locals asked us to open a bakery we knew we had their buy-in no matter what we made and, and at first we were a bit nervous about launching a vegan business because we knew that it had to be vegan because we're vegan. We didn't want to put all our money and energy into something that was against our morals. Like if you're going to start a business, then really that's your chance to align your work with your with your morals. And unfortunately, a lot of vegan people out there, and especially in Whistler, they don't have that opportunity and they 
They work in companies in restaurants, for example, that sell meat and fish and they serve that food every day and they just see it as a job and an income. And um, to be honest, they don't have any choice, really, because we are literally one of the only vegan businesses in Whistler. So unless you're working for us, that's what you've got to do. But we thought, well, we don't want to do that anymore. So we we want to have a, a vegan business that we're really proud of, that we believe in, and um, also be able to donate money to animal and environmental causes from having a vegan business and just kind of show people that vegan isn't like doesn't have to be second to traditional food, but actually just as good or better than what uh, people are serving in in most non-vegan food and beverage establishments. Absolutely. And speaking of businesses and working in non-vegan businesses, take us back to your vegan story of when you had to work in that ski resort and cook meat for all of these, these kids. What was that like? for you it was horrible because I was actually vegetarian and I got a job as ski school support worker which I imagined was actually going to be out on the mountain assisting with ski lessons but I didn't know until my first day of sort of training really that I was working in the kitchen making the lunches for all the ski instructors and kids it was about 800 people a day and I had a team of 19 year olds that had never been away from home before. So you can imagine it was sex, drugs, rock and roll, all around skiing. And so sort of nurturing those guys through that time. And then also making all this food that I'd never, ever cooked. I'd never cooked meat until I lived at ski school, uh, worked in ski school. So like wieners, I didn't know what a wiener was. So I'm like looking at all the labels. Like, what is this exactly? And I remember it said 40% reconstituted pork and then a load of other crap. And I just thought, like I don't even know what reconstituted means and all these other foods are in it it's only 40% meat and this is a sausage and I don't know what all this other stuff is in it and here I am giving it to to literally four and five-year-olds and older kids but I just felt it was wrong um but you know like most people in the town you kind of do your job and you get through your season and you you have a great time skiing and snowboarding a great social life Uh, But by the end of the season, I was pretty resolute that I didn't want to do that anymore. I didn't enjoy that aspect of my life. And I actually went vegan while working pretty much at ski school. I started, I didn't transition overnight. It was a gradual process. But I remember at ski school, I started bringing in almond milk. And some of the uh, instructors found it in the fridge. And they started asking me, can I have some of your almond milk? And I I kind of thought, oh, that's a bit mean. Like You get paid more than me. Why don't you bring your own? But I was kind of like, yeah, go on, have some of it. And that was kind of the first step, really, was changing the dairy milk to the the plant-based milk. And as I said, I wasn't eating meat anyway, um, but then transitioning more and more to, to cutting out all dairy products and eggs and things and learning about honey and not wanting to eat that anymore either. So that was my journey. And then I went vegan. Uh, once I committed to what it meant to be vegan understood all the benefits um with the animals the environment the health etc then I sort of um told Ed I didn't want to have anything animal based in the house anymore which was a bit of a shock for him but he kind of got on board but he was still working in a restaurant and perhaps eating some of that food um, but not bringing it home yeah I think it was definitely like a 
a transition period. I was always open to eating a heavy sort of vegetarian diet, loads of fruits and veggies. Like I love seasonal cooking and everything like that. Um, and I think it was, we both sort of like try and live a sustainable environmental life. So like Tash said, with food, it's quite easy. You sort of get rid of anything you don't need, donate it. But I think like a lot of people have leather shoes or, you know, animal products in that way. And I think we just sort of used them until we didn't need them or we gave them to sort of charity shops, donated them. So it's definitely, it was a transition period, but I was always open and respected Tasha's wishes. And then 2016, there's a lot of documentaries coming out, you know, cowspiracy, all these sort of things. And it was, the information was there. It, from a health point of view for myself, I had a stent fitted when I was 26, which is in my aorta. So I knew dairy would be a an e relatively easy thing to cut out. Just started eating it as a special treat. And then I think the whole animal welfare comes in. So it started for me as a very selfish sort of, this is good for me. And then it quickly, the more information I sort of found and read about, I was like, well, it's good for the environment. You know, it's good. And then the animals as well. And just, I think for me, I just still struggle with the amount of starving people in the world but then we've got all this food that we feed to animals. So that was a bit of a no brainer. That's incredible that you changed and that Nat, you were able to help him make that transition because I thought, I think a lot of what was hard for me at least in veganism was just dealing with the people around me. Like that was the most challenging thing and mm -hmm. still continues to be when it comes to extended family and certain friends and thank yeah. God my boyfriend's vegan now, but it was a process and it was a, a, a it, was, it took a little bit of, of nudging him to go, to go vegan. So what, maybe what were some of the challenges that each of you faced personally throughout your journey? I mean, Natasha, you, you went vegan and, or vegetarian from a very young age. Can you tell us a little bit about what peers might've said about you when you were choosing to leave animals off your plate? Oh yeah. Well, you're opening a whole can of worms there because <laughs> I grew up in um, foster care because uh, I had um, my mother had mental health issues I didn't have a dad and so by the age of eight I was kind of going through different homes with different families and um, you know I don't know if they still do these sorts of things anymore but they sent me to a child psychologist to for counseling and things for some of the things I've been through and they decided that um, they couldn't quite figure out what it was because I was achieving well at school I always was kind of mid to top of class in in all subjects and yet they were sort of resolute that I had to have some sort of behavior or trauma sort of um issues they just and I felt like they were trying to find something and they they said to me when I was about 10 years old the psychologist said that um I was a fussy eater um because I didn't want to eat any meat and things and it, I don't think it was ever really accepted that I was vegetarian because I remember chocolate mousse was my favorite dessert, just like cheap store-bought chocolate mousse. That was my favorite thing ever. And uh, as punishment, if I was naughty, um, they would stop, they would ban me from eating chocolate mousse. And that was like the worst thing in the world you could do to me as a kid. Like that was like the worst possible punishment when I was in foster care. And I don't think anyone was really checking the chocolate mousse. It could have contained gelatine and things like that. Um, so I don't think that any of the adults in my life really took it seriously that I didn't want to eat animals and what they decided was that it was a manifestation of trauma and this was backed up by this child psychologist 
Um, but when I look back, um, I, I don't think that it was fussy eating at all because I actually enjoy eating all plants, uh, legumes. I'm a bit, a little bit fussy maybe when it comes to spice levels, but I don't think that's abnormal really. Um, I, it's just that I didn't grow up with spicy food. So my tolerance isn't that great. Um, but aside from things like that, I eat mushrooms, I eat all lentils and nuts and pretty much any vegetable or fruit. I don't think I'm a fussy eater at all. But I think when people are used to eating meat and fish and they meet somebody that doesn't want to eat that, uh, they're like, oh, why didn't you eat that? Or what's wrong with you eating this and that? And it's almost like because they eat it, they want to believe it's normal. And if they see someone rejecting it, then they want to point the finger at you and say, well, you're weird, you're abnormal. Oh, it's because you've got trauma. This is how you're manifesting it in your behaviour. Um, it was kind of crazy. So I grew up with kind of people talking about me, uh, whispering a bit, you know, oh, you know, she's a fussy eater. And if you went to somebody's house for dinner back in like the 90s, which is when I was young, a lot of, and probably still now, a lot of the dads I remember of my friends would say, oh, get that meat down you girl you know and it was all kind of very rude to sort of not eat what was given to you and I I would often say to people oh thank you for inviting me you know I'm, I'm actually vegetarian and I'd be a bit nervous about telling them and if they did make something for me I'd be very lucky but a lot of the times I remember I'd just have to pick meat out and I'd have this little like pile of meat on my plate and, and that wouldn't go down very well with certain people so it was hard and I hope that these days it's a lot more mainstream and a lot more acceptable. Um, but then you think that and then sometimes you'll go somewhere quite rural or somewhere and you're kind of like, oh, wow. Yeah. Veganism hasn't quite reached every corner of the world yet. So maybe it is still quite tough for a lot of people. And what was it like for you, Ed? I mean, coming from a different background, you're off also a guy. And I find that sometimes that can come with pressure. What What, what was your experience? Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, for me, it was like I had a very easier upbringing than Natasha. I had lots of fruits and vegetables, part of our daily sort of diet. But yeah, definitely when I sort of came out and sort of announced, okay, I'm going to commit to this and and be a vegan man. Like you said, the sort of you get these sort of funny looks. For some reason, it's it's easier for people to understand women. I don't know if that's from a compassion sort of sense. Like women are more compassionate. And to be a man, you have to be macho and you eat steak. But as the years have gone on, I'm more proud to say it. Sort of, I would hide away and be a bit embarrassed in the first sort of couple of years. But now, especially owning a vegan business, I think it's my job as well to sort of inspire other men to hopefully say, oh, well, look at this guy, you know, he's six foot three. He's got tattoos and he runs a sourdough bakery. So for me, I was going like, we just need to start a brewery on the side and then it doesn't really, it doesn't matter. It's, it's all a sort of ideology of what a man should be. And I feel like that's changed in so many ways through other sort of movements and people being more open-minded. So yeah, I think it's probably more myself sort of getting caught up in that. And, and it's just, and I've got loads of friends that aren't vegan, but have oat milk with their coffee, you know, cutting down definitely on animal products and, when we cook them food, they're like, well, if I could eat food like this all the time, it would be a lot easier to go vegan. So the more the more we're sort of choosing those options in restaurants and trying to inspire our friends and family, like none of our family are vegan. 
Um, we've got friends that have definitely moved that way. And we had a vegan wedding, for example, six years ago. And it was about 100 people. And we just like, we have to make this food as best as possible and show our friends and family. You don't have to miss out. It is amazing. Um, and it went down really well. So from that event, some of our friends did make that sort of vegan change and definitely have a better idea about it. And so where is that line as business owners where you are able to advocate and talk about veganism with your customers? What's that dynamic like? It's tough because um, customers will often not realize that we're vegan because the whole bakery's vegan. They don't see the word vegan written everywhere. You know, when you go into a non-vegan place, which unfortunately at the moment is most places, um, you're always looking for the V or what I've noticed is the Vs tends to get mixed up with vegetarian. And so now I have to look for VG and or double check that V actually means vegan. But you're always looking for that symbol, you know, um, before what which which things are actually the real food here you know where that's what I how I sort of see menus these days I sort of skim all the the animals I just don't even see it as food I'm just looking for something that's real food which to me is plants um, and then when they come in our bakery why are we going to put v or vg or any symbol before any of our products when the whole lot is vegan it's on the door plant 100% plant-based vegan friendly it's like I'm not going to sink vegan brownie vegan cinnamon bun vegan well what's the point so for that reason people often just walk through the door and don't even see the sign on the door and just think well this looks like a regular bakery it must be a regular bakery and we've just found that sometimes people don't even um believe that we're vegan even if they are vegan they go what's vegan I say, oh, actually everything's vegan is that vegan is this vegan is it? yeah it's all vegan and because that we haven't got the symbols on every single item they, they sometimes don't believe us and also the other customers will say things like, which bread's good for a steak dinner? I'm going to make a steak sandwich. I want to use up the rest of my Thanksgiving turkey. Which one would be the best? And I just sort of say to them, well, I'm not sure which one's the best for turkey because I don't actually eat that. We're actually vegan here. But what I can tell you is that this bread over here makes the best sandwiches. And they sort of go, oh, right. And sometimes they remember and they go, oh, yeah, of course you are. And they apologize and say, sorry. And other times they just look at me like I'm an alien from outer space. But they usually buy the bread and enjoy it and come back for it. And I find that if they've eaten something nice, like one thing that's nice, then they'll want to try other things in the future. So I think that the great thing about food is it cuts through all boundaries. Like it doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't matter if you say, I'm a hunter and I love killing animals and I'm I love my steak and I that's all I eat because if I give you something delicious that's vegan but you like it you're going to want to eat it again so it just kind of cuts through all the politics and the religion and anything else as long as you enjoy it um then you're going to want it again and so that's how I think uh I think like feeding people is the best way to get the to get people to make the plant-based choices, even if they're never going to put their hands up in the air like us and say, we're vegan and we're proud. You know, as long as they make plant-based choices, then we're eliminating animals one step at a time from the supply chain. Mm-hmm. That's such such a good point. I think that, you know, a good way to get to somebody's heart is through their stomach. And so what better way than with food? So why don't you tell me a little bit about the different types of breads and, and pastries that you have, and then also what people can expect to find in your new book? 
Yeah. So when Penguin reached out and said about the book, we wanted to essentially bring our bakery into people's homes. So have the classics. So we have like a really nice country sourdough, which is our best selling loaf. It's a blend of 40% whole grain, really good for sandwiches and toast, like Tash said. Uh, and then we have like 100% rye breads, which is that sort of German, Scandinavian, quite a heavy loaf, 100% whole grain. Um, we have small breads in there. So we have like pita breads. Um, what else do we have in there? Burger buns. We have uh, sweet breads, donuts, um, cinnamon buns, which is, again, cinnamon buns is like our classic. We make hundreds of them. Um, hot cross buns. Uh, and then it was really fun because we were able to do things outside of the bakery that we wouldn't normally do. Um, we don't have like a big display fridge. So we were able to do like cheesecakes um, and like things that would need to be chilled. Um, we've got celebration like birthday cakes, mince pies. So we've got like a festive celebration section uh, and then dips and spreads. We do have a few small deli items available at the shop, like marinated olives and hummus. Um, so the hummus recipe is in there. Also a hummus cookie, which we made, which is like a chickpea cookie. And it has everything that you would find in hummus, bar the garlic. So olive oil as the fat, because we don't always use like vegan butters. People are like this sort of fake, you know, alternatives. We try and use, try and use like more whole foods, olive oil, uh, coconut oil, um, even like starchy vegetables and fruits like sweet potato and banana as a as a binder um so yeah the, the hummus cookie is is an amazing one we love that it's a gluten-free cookie it's wrapped in sesame seeds delicious there's a whole gluten-free chapter so even though we use a lot of wheat in our bakery and we have wheat in our logo to make that really clear for people um we understand that there are people out there perhaps celiac people who can't eat gluten and so we felt it was important to cater to them as much as possible. So we have nut-free recipes, wheat-free recipes, soy-free recipes. Um, but at the same time, what we're really more focused on is is being um, vegan and eliminating animals. Like that's really what it comes down to. But we try to make different options for other people. And then another chapter that we're really excited about is our zero waste chapter. Because <clears throat> when you make sourdough bread you feed your mother and you often have discard and the discard could generally get thrown away but there's loads of recipes you can make with it yeah totally we just started experimenting at home it was kind of fun you know making pancakes crepes waffles um crumpets which is a real sort of english classic so we definitely hit upon our sort of roots of both being from from the uk um, and I've got, I'm half Scottish, so we've got a really good shortbread recipe in there. Um, so it's kind of like, at first it was quite daunting doing 100 recipes, but it let us really sort of open the box and be creative uh, and do, you know, a recipe book in a way that we wanted to, to read and buy. And this book is inspired by our British heritage, but we've lived in North America for 10 years We've lived in Australia and New Zealand before. So I would say it's quite eclectic in its recipe range. It's more like somebody said, it's like your life story through baking. And I, I thought that's actually a really good way to put it because there's like a North American inspired pecan pie next to a British cherry bakewell tart. Um, so we've got we've got like Indian naan bread in there because British people love curry. Um, so we're quite used to like Indian fare as well. 
So we've got like a whole medley of um, great recipes and we want this book to be a book that you can go to throughout the year for different things, for breakfast, lunch, dinner, you know, for treat a celebration, um, just your go-to kind of baking book that you can keep um, sharing recipes with the family and friends. And I think we've accomplished that. So we're really pleased with it because we see other books out there that are more focused just on bread or just on cakes. But this is kind of the whole shebang done vegan. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It sounds amazing. <laughs> I mean, this is like the perfect Christmas, Hanukkah gift, New Year gift. If there's any birthdays coming up, I mean, what better gift than this? You know, teaching people to actually create incredible, delicious meals. And then you guys, the ones that are listening, can create these these breads and, and these recipes and convert all of your friends. Totally. Yeah. yeah. And then if anyone's headed towards Whistler, you can come and see us at the bakery as well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> and so is it true that bakers are up at like three in the morning? Like, what is your schedule like? Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty aggressive. Like being a chef for so long, I was used to like long hours, but the early mornings, are, you got to love it to get out of bed at that time. And then they're, they're long days, you know, sourdough is quite an extensive, extensive process to, to do, but um, we're very driven. And I think having the um, drive comes from being vegan and we're on a mission mm-hmm. to sort of change people's minds. So it's kind of, it's hard as small business owners, family run business, but um yeah we've we've lasted five years nothing's gonna stop us I mean the great thing about our bakery being in a ski town is the first person that gets in starts their shift at 4am but they're finished by midday and they're on the mountain every day skiing in the afternoon or on their mountain bike so um they love it because they get a great balance of work and play and when you live in a ski town you tend to want to you have to get up early anyway um even if you're not not working you have to get up early to get the best quality snow in the morning so it kind of suits our um athletic town I think to have that kind of schedule some people prefer night jobs but then they end up working so late they can find it hard to get up for the fresh snow so I think our our staff have a good balance no, that's amazing. Well, if I ever come visit, I mean, I do love skiing. I'll definitely have to check you guys out. And I guess what advice would you give to future vegan business owners? Well, I believe in the product because I think that's what's really going to, that's what's put us apart. I come from a fine dining background, so it's not just sort of like cupcakes and muffins. You have to be doing something of the highest quality. Like we we only use sort of organic flour, local produce as much as possible, obviously spices and nuts and seeds and things. But um, I think really believing in the product and making the, the best product you can is, mm-hmm. is going to help you stand you know, apart. One thing I've heard is that a lot of vegan business owners, because they're kind of more ethically inclined, which is why they're vegan in the first place, they can often be afraid to make money like making a profit is somehow evil. Um, But the fact is, if you don't make a profit, then your business won't survive. And then you can't help anyone, animals or people. So um, you kind of have to make sure that you are being profitable. Um, For us, getting the B Corp was recognition that we're a profitable business, but we give back. So it doesn't have to be like a complete social enterprise type model or not for profit. You can have 
a sort of capitalist business that makes money, but you can use your money and look after your team and do good things for the, the world as well. So I think it's important that anyone out there that's worried about making a profit, uh, putting their prices up or doing what they have to to survive, um, really needs to reconsider that and make sure that they're profitable to stay afloat for longevity. Absolutely. I mean, we're just because we're vegan doesn't mean we don't need a roof over our head or toilets that flush. I mean, it's it's ridiculous. I think, yeah, you I mean, I get how ethically, okay, if you have, you know, millions of dollars coming in and you're not giving back, but it's like we're vegan, obviously, we're gonna give back and help where we can. Um, so thank you guys for all that you're doing and for, for giving back. And I guess what is next for you? When are you opening up bread in New York city? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe you could sponsor us, Jamie. <laughs> um, I don't know how easy it is to, to get into America these days as an immigrant. So I'm not sure New York's on the cards just yet, but I did hear that the New York mayor is trying to roll out more plant-based dinners for, uh, kids in school. So, I mean, if he wants to hit us up, we'd love to be involved on that project. Um, we're kind of, yeah, we're just kind of riding the wave of the cookbook when we get back to Whistler, because we're in Vancouver right now. When we get back to Whistler, we are recruiting our winter team, training everyone up. And then Christmas is um, our busy, busy time because it feels like everyone in the world comes to Christmas for, um, comes to Whistler for a white Christmas. Mm. And it's one of our busiest times of the year. So um, that will be our next focus. Um, by the time this podcast comes out, it might be the new year of 2024. And then we'll be starting to think about the next phase of our, our business. But it'll, mm -hmm. be, it'll be exciting and people will have to stay up to date with us on Instagram or something to see what's next. I mean, you guys are crushing it on Instagram. Tell me like what people can see there and where they can find you. Totally. It start like it. We always had like pretty active Instagram prior to, to COVID and things, but I think just everyone got interested in sourdough. And I think I just love sharing tutorials, how people can shape bread, make bread, and then also like messaging people back, you know, all these comments and things. People always say, I love the fact that you always reply. So like Tash said, if people have got any questions, um, it's Ed's underscore bread, B-R-E-D um totally follow us along like we do tutorials on to making our cakes and cookies that will now go along with the the cookbook so you know if you've got a favorite recipe and you, you want a technique sort of shown uh, i think the video format of that has really sort of increased the popularity of it yeah there's Amazing. a lot of shaping and then some other sweet recipes that we put on there. And then every now and then we'll do a post about our local area. Like we'll show some of the the snow or the, the sort of red leaves on the maple trees outside. Or we'll just kind of give a little glimpse into like what Whistler's like. Because it's such a fun place to come on vacation. And bonus, there just happens to be the best vegan bakery in the world. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm just going to be like skiing down the mountain with two sourdough loaves in my mouth with my little poles. This sounds like <laughs> the perfect winter trip. Yeah. <laughs> well, you guys are amazing. Thank you for making the time for us. And guys, definitely go follow Ed's underscore bread. That's B-R-E-D. And you can also go to Ed's bread, B-R-E-D dot com to see some more information and to get your book.
Totally, yeah. Which is called bread, B-R-E-D, which is a portmanteau of Ed and bread, because he's the guy <laughs> who makes the bread. So that's why we called it bread um, rather than Ed's bread. <laughs> there you go. Look at that. And they have, you know, the puns going for them. And so where can people buy the book? Is it on Amazon? Yeah. Oh, thanks for asking, Jamie. Yeah, it's on Amazon. It's every major book retailer has it. You can go to your little independent bookstore and they can order it in for you. Um, if for some reason that you don't want to buy it or you can't afford it, your local library can also order it in. And it's available on the Kindle as well. I know a lot of people are consuming books electronically these days. So yeah, paperback or hardback, I should say, or Kindle versions are out there everywhere. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, guys. And thanks to everybody for listening. Go toss them a follow. I'm at It's Jamie's Corner. And until next time, bye, guys.